So how did the moon form? Does it actually have a viable purpose? Have we ever seen the backside of the moon? Did you hear Elon Musk was gonna put a restaurant on it? But he said it just didn't have the right atmosphere for success. That's terrible, that's terrible. There are many nebula in space, and what those are are exploded stars. And that's what we see, nebula, these gas clouds are spreading out. They're not pulling together to make moons in space. If the moon can't be explained from natural science, what about the planets and, and space beyond? There should be some real humility, I would think, on the part of astronomers. Perhaps the moon cannot be explained. Maybe it was put in the sky. In other words, a supernatural creation. And I find that to be a refreshing alternative. Welcome to the Creation Today Show, where we bring together interviews with experts and solid Bible teaching. Your host, Eric Hovind, affirms the ultimate authority of God's Word, the truth of creation, and why it matters to you. Hey guys, welcome to the Creation Today Show. I am your host, Eric Hovind. If you're new to the Creation Today Show, we are on a mission to disciple the world one person at a time by turning the stumbling blocks that keep people from Scripture into stepping stones that lead right to the Savior, Jesus Christ. Hey, Facebook, YouTube, podcast, and television audience, thank you guys for peeking into the Creation Today community for this conversation. We're going to let you listen into the first half of the show, and you're going to love it. You're going to love it so much, you're going to want to watch, watch or listen to the second half of the show. If you want to do that, join our mission to disciple the world one person at a time at creationtoday.org. And when you do, you get the benefit of enjoying the second half of the show. So come on over and let's partner together. Hey, to my Creation Today partners on here, thank you guys for joining me. I love this week after week getting discipled with you guys. You're going to love today's guest, okay? I promise, incredible. He is a creation scientist and an educator specializing in astronomy and in physics. His undergraduate is from Michigan Tech. His Master of Divinity is from Grace Seminary, and his PhD in Physics is from Iowa State University. He's written 21 different books, including Thousands Not Billions, Discovery of Design, Astronomy in the Bible, and Our Created Moon. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome our guest to today's show, Dr. Don DeYoung. Dr. DeYoung, welcome to the Creation Today Show. Well, thank you, Eric. Glad to be here. I have read your work for years, your, your books and things like that for years, and this is the first time I've had the opportunity and the privilege of having you on the show to talk about the moon. You studied the moon a little bit, I take it. Well, you know, the moon <clears throat> is of good interest to all of us. It's our nearest neighbor in space, and uh, it has much to, uh, to teach us. We're all aware, aware of the moon and the phases and the mysteries of it. It's just a great topic. I was looking at it last night thinking, man, it doesn't look so good. And then I realized it probably is just a phase. So I'm not too worried about it. So the moon is one of the big things that, that, that well, one of the, I think, big things for young earth creationists that um, sometimes we don't utilize enough because it really does give us some solid, incredible information to show God's word is true. He really did create the heavens and the earth around 6,000 years ago, just like it says in his word. 
and you're going to educate us on that today. So take us through some of these, uh, the, 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 the understanding of the moon. And as you do, can you give us a tiny bit of background on how you got started in creation science? Well, that's interesting, Eric. Uh, I became a believer uh, back in my uh, college days and didn't know quite how to put together the whole creation story and, uh, and the book of Genesis. And of course, there's a lot of uh, compromises around. But I do recall in grad school, one weekend, they had a seminar in a local church. And uh, this speaker challenged us to consider the idea of a recent supernatural creation. I just had not considered that before. It sounded like something from, you know, centuries gone by. But the more closely you look at it, it's such a refreshing view of, uh, of the original creation and our present-day creation. By the way, that speaker was one of the pioneers in uh, creation studies, uh, John Whitcomb, who uh, wow. later became my uh, neighbor and mentor. And so that kind of got me going. Now, that was decades ago, but it's been a, a wonderful ride putting together Bible and science. And that really is a big key. Even today, the world that we see and everything we see going on today, still trying to reject uh, Scripture and trying to just hold to a science when, when, when really the Scripture is the underpinning for science itself. Um, take us... Take us through this journey as we as we journey to the moon today to to learn more about God, more about His Word, and more about His world. Uh, what kind of? I mean, in in one sense, it's like okay, it's a it's a it's a sphere up there that reflects the light of the sun. Like how how far can you take that one when it comes to teaching people about uh, about God and about science? When it comes to creation, ninety nine percent of what God made is in the heavens above, and wow. so it opens up astronomy. And uh, the moon is our nearest neighbor in space, so it's a good starting point, and uh, there's much to consider right there. So, uh, yeah, the moon is about a quarter million miles away. Uh, it's not doesn't have any light of its own, but it's a reflector of the sun as it faithfully goes through its uh, circuits around around uh, uh, around the Earth. And uh, when it comes to the moon, kind of we can break up our discussion into several places. We can talk about um, the origin of the moon, how it got to be circling the Earth. And we can talk about some of the um, age measurements of just how old the moon is. And then also um, just the, the, the purposes, the design of the moon. And you know, Eric, that's the refreshing part of creation, that there's reasons for things. Whether we can figure them out or not, there's a... Uh, there's purposes even to the moon. I love it. So the the evolutionary worldview would say the moon. Uh, well, how would they say the moon got got started? What 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 would they say there? Well, over the years, there's been uh, several origin theories of how the moon got to be circling the Earth. And you know, this was one of the reasons for the that uh, Apollo project back in the '60s and '70s when. Uh, uh, 12 astronauts walked on the moon and uh, uh, picked up moon rocks, brought them back to the Earth. Part of that whole push was to figure out the origin of the moon. So the theories have kind of come and gone. Now, back in the 60s, the popular idea was called the fission theory, that long ago, the Earth was uh, rotating much more rapidly and uh, just some of the material broke off from the Earth and uh, traveled into space and began circling the Earth, the fission theory. 
Now, the trouble with that one is the earth would have to be spinning really rapidly. And, you know, it turns in 24 hours, not one hour. And so um, the fission theory doesn't work. And also, Eric, when uh, we study moon rocks, they're not like earth rocks. The isotopes are different. And uh, it does not look like the moon came from the earth. So the fission theory went away. Now, next in the, uh, come, comes along what's called um, the capture theory. It's not really an origin theory. The suggestion is the moon just came from somewhere else. And we reached out with our gravity and captured it. And it's been going around us ever since. That's an interesting idea. <clears throat> And, you know, if a moon would come close to the Earth, it certainly would feel our gravity. And it would kind of start to make a loop around the Earth, but then it would escape. It would be like crack the whip. It would pick up speed. To capture the moon, you would have to slow the moon down, carefully insert it into orbit, put the brakes on. And how do you do that with these spontaneous origin theories? So fission went away and the capture theory went away because of the, the physics ideas. Well, after capture comes another theory, just called uh, the nebula theory, that a cloud of gas collapsed and turned into the moon. Now, that's interesting because there are several, there are many nebula in space. They're colorful pictures. And what those are are exploded stars. And that's what we see. Nebula, these gas clouds are spreading out. They're not pulling together to make moons in space. So I don't know, each time, Eric, the, when you look closely at the physics of these origin theories for the moon, they do not work. Now, our current theory, the one that's lasted in our present era, and if you would Google moon origin, it says perhaps um, there was a collision. They talk about catastrophes, <clears throat> that um, some kind of large object smashed into the earth and almost disintegrated it, but that fragments fell back together and formed the moon and the earth side by side. So that's the current idea. And of course, as before, it doesn't work either. Some uh, models show that there would be two moons, but you know, the bottom line, Eric, uh, a collision of that size with the earth, it's not the way God set things up, that the earth is destroyed in that way. And so the probability just goes to zero of that kind of uh, a collision. Hey, we just marched through a vision, capture, nebula, collision, not a of work. How does that moon get in the sky? You know, and that's our nearest object. If the moon can't be explained from natural science, what about the, you know, the, the planets and, and space beyond? There should be some real humility, I would think, on the part of uh uh, um, astronomers. And that makes a person just want to humbly spoke up, speak up and say, perhaps the moon cannot be explained. Maybe it was put in the sky. In other words, a supernatural creation. And I find that to be a refreshing alternative. So with all of our science today, we still can't even explain the origin of the moon. Isn't that interesting? And, you know, the more closely you look at it, uh, the origin of the moon is called an unsolved mystery, but so is the origin of life or the origin of the solar system or the origin of anything. 
when it gets down to the bottom line, origins are beyond science as we know it. I might say, Eric, uh, my whole career has been in physics, studying the, 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 the laws, gravity, and all the natural physical laws. And all through grad school, we, we studied those laws, but it was never mentioned where they came from. The origin even of the, the laws of the universe, it's all good, you know, creation foundation. So we, we really took a wrong turn when we, when we went to science and said, we're going to exclude anything non-physical. We're going to exclude anything, anything non-material. We're going to exclude the idea of an origin from a creator and try to look for an origin within the creation. We really took a wrong turn when we did that in science. We did. And uh, that's a good way to put it, that we took a wrong turn. And if you go back to the pioneers of, of science and math, the ones who laid down the whole foundation we use, they were godly men and women who had it right. Whether we're talking about uh, Isaac Newton or... Uh, Michael Faraday or uh, Maria Mitchell, all these uh, pioneers have wonderful testimonies. And I think that God gave them great insights because they were honoring their creator. And that's kind of been lost in modern science, but it's still there, the foundation of our understanding of, of this world. So if the moon's uh, origin can't really be explained by science, Yet God comes along and says, hey, just so you know, I'm the one who did it. I'm the one who made it. Is there, is there information about the moon that can help us understand like how old it is and, 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 or how old it is in relation to the earth? Or uh, I'm, I'm curious what the, the physics and the science says about the, the age of the earth. If we can't determine the origin, can we at least determine when the origin would have been? Yes, you know, part of uh, the creation viewpoint is a, a challenge to deep time, this unending time that's assumed. And uh, the idea of a recent supernatural creation is so exciting. And when it comes to the moon, there are multiple evidences that it is not as old as often assumed. Now, it's typically said that the, the moon and the earth are uh, about 5 billion years old, and the rest of the universe is about three times older than that. <clears throat> Those kind of numbers need to be challenged. And so we might just mention uh, two areas which um, challenge the long age view of, of the many that you could do. <clears throat> and uh, the first one, uh, uh, an evidence that the moon may not be as old as they say, is something called um, TLP, transient lunar phenomena transient, which means temporary. What we are finding, Eric, <clears throat> is that there are changes going on the moon. And if the moon is actually multi-billions of years old, it should be a quiet, uh, unchanging museum. But no, we do see dynamic activity there. These include bright spots on the moon, streaks of light, glowing clouds, and mists, some volcanic activity. These are called, again, I'll just call it uh, transient uh, phenomena, TLPs. And there's a whole rich history of this so that have been sightings that the moon is not dead and quiet, but is active from time to time. <clears throat> now, the thing is, these kind of phenomena are temporary. They may only last for seconds. 
And so it's hard to capture them even on, on film, but people keep an eye for these kind of things. And uh, just to show you the history of this, um, here's a quote from William Herschel from three centuries ago. He was looking at the moon with a telescope. I perceived in the dark part of the moon a luminous spot. It had the appearance of a red star. I observed three volcanoes, one with actual eruption of fire or luminous matter. Now, once in a while, these uh, kind of phenomena are recorded, and uh, we will show us a quick slide, which just shows a bright spot, and uh, that is one of these uh, temporary phenomena. Now, uh, our trip to the moon, the Apollo project, showed surprisingly um, local heat flows coming out of the moon. So the moon is not just cooled off and uh, long gone, but it still apparently has heat in its inside, concentrations, which come through the surface now and then. You know, there's a big, this basic assumption, Eric, that the, the moon is cold and unchanging over billions of years. But um, this surface volcanic activity is thought to be just impossible. And usually when people talk about two L, these TLPs, they're challenged. People say you must be seeing things. But they are seeing these phenomena, and the list continues to increase and get larger. Not that you can put an absolute date on this, that the moon is not that old, but a multi-billion-year-old moon would not have this kind of activity lasting any longer. So anyway, that's an interesting area, TLPs, surface activity continuing. And are we constantly, are we monitoring the moon all the time? Is that something, is it one of those things, or is it like, no, we've seen it, we know it's there, we're not like, you know, recording everything that happens on the moon? Well, I would say not by the professionals, because they've moved okay. into deep space and are things, you know, that are uh, current models. A lot of this TLP business is actually seen by uh, amateurs, people that have their own telescopes and watch the moon. And of course, that's a whole active area. So at least on that level, local astronomy clubs, yes, the moon is uh, observed continually. Nice. And so there's information that shows us it's it's still changing. There's still hot spots. There's still flashes of things, still volcanic type activity. The moon is not cold and dead. It cannot be old. If it was old, it'd be cold and dead. It's not cold and dead. Therefore, it's not old. Exactly. And this kind of dynamic activity is, occurs all through the solar system. The planets, the rings of Saturn, other moons, all of this activity just shows a, a, a youthfulness to creation. Certainly thousands of years old, but not millions or billions. Wow, that sounds like a good title to a book. You should write a book about that, maybe. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> so any other things on the moon to show the age of it? Because this doesn't give us an exact age. Again, there are multiple areas to um, explore. Beyond this uh, uh, changing phenomena, another interesting, Eric, is the fact that the moon is moving outward from the Earth. This is called lunar recession. Now, it's not that we can see the moon getting smaller in the sky. This is a pretty small process. In our present day, the moon moves outward about, uh, let's say, one and a half inches per year. Well, in 10 years, that's a foot. In a century or in a millennia, that adds up. And uh, we can actually measure those kind of small changes because um, uh, 
mirrors were, were left on the moon by the Apollo program, and we can bounce laser beams off those mirrors from there to the moon and back to the earth and measure the distance, and the distance is increasing. Now, someone might say, well, an inch and a half a year, that, that does not add up. But the thing is, um, this recession of the moon is uh, non-linear. When the moon was a bit closer to the moon, uh, excuse me, when the moon was a bit closer to the Earth, then it was uh, recessing more rapidly. And if you go back in time, for instance, the fission theory, that would have placed the moon much closer to the Earth at one time, and then it would have rapidly gone outward. When you do the math on this, and it gets a little bit complicated, if you go back, let's say, one and a half billion years, the moon would be right up against the Earth. It'd be touching wow. the Earth. It'd be right here. And you can't do that because if you get the moon in the vicinity of the Earth, it'll disintegrate. It'll fall apart. It'll be torn yeah. to shreds. However, it's typically said, again, that the moon is um, four and a half or five billion years old. And we're saying, no, there's a fundamental time issue there. Not that the moon is even one and a half billion, but it can't be anywhere near what is often said. It would just, we would not have a moon if that was the case. So this is an interesting area, this um, recession of the moon. And you can do the math and again, not put an absolute date on it. But um, over, uh, even since for 6,000 years of history, the moon has moved, um, you know, um, thousands of feet outward. But uh, you run into trouble with a long, deep time scale. So would the moon have gotten to the place, like if we try to go backwards in time and, and we try to bring the moon closer, I've always been curious about this. Does it get to the place where all of a sudden the gravity of the moon and the gravity of the earth just shaboom, just kind of pull them together? And it's almost like a, like magnetism where the the closer they get, the faster they move together, the closer they get, the faster. Would, would that kind of effect happen? And it's just, boom, you would have this like, major catastrophe? Well, there certainly is an effect there. Actually, when the moon would get in the vicinity of the Earth, the Earth's gravity would pull much more on the near side of the moon than the back side of the moon, and the moon would disintegrate. There's a boundary around the Earth. It's called the Rausch limit. And if you pass through that limit, the moon becomes unstable. Now, uh, the rings of Saturn, that material is actually within the Rausch limit of Saturn. So those rings are not making a moon. If they were originally a moon, they're gone now. So that kind of shows this, this limit. And that's the problem with all these natural origin theories where the moon starts close to the Earth. It would have been destroyed. Just doesn't work. Okay, so it looks like it was designed to be put in orbit there. If you had to really look at it scientifically, it looks like it's in just the right place and it looks like it was designed. Well, that's true. And even the near circular orbit of the moon, these natural origin theories would make long ellipses. They would be kind of awkward orbits, but the moon is not a perfect circle around the earth, but very close to it. And so it faithfully makes its trip once a month, round and round. So yes, we've talked about the origin of the moon and uh, the age of the moon. And then that leads naturally to um, why the moon is there, reasons for the moon. So uh, Eric, um, what's the moon good for? Does it do anything for you? Would you miss it if it wasn't there? 
Well, I got to tell you, I do like taking walks with my wife every night, and we love looking up at the beautiful moon. So I love the look of it. That's one thing, I'll tell you that. Isn't that true? I mean, they make music with the moon. They make poetry. It's a beauty. It's artwork. And that's a good purpose of the moon. And the closer we look at the whole idea, there are multiple reasons why God put the moon in the sky. I'm sure we haven't thought of all these reasons yet, and uh, there, there are many secrets to creation. But uh, you can even make a list of the different ways that um, the moon helps us. And just to think about some of these, of course, um, uh, we all know that the moon is a nightlight. Now, some nights there's a full moon, some nights there's no moon at all. But for much of the Earth, and certainly for all of history, that moonlight has been very useful and purposeful in the evening sky to guide our steps. Now, uh, the moon also, when you get familiar with the phases, you can tell time by the moon. You can tell direction. It's a compass. You can tell um, the seasons of the moon. And so this it's like a clockwork as it uh, circles the earth, and all this information is available to us. So it can it can even act as a compass, even though like it's you're, it seems to me like sometimes I'm seeing it in the nighttime, sometimes I'm seeing it in the daytime, and yet you could still use it as a compass. Well, yes, you know, the moon is in the daytime sky, I mean, half the time. It's circling the earth, and we only really get aware of it at, at night, but it's up there doing its thing. And, you know, speaking of the seasons, we have learned in just the last couple of decades that the moon is why we have our seasons. Now, the earth is tilted. If you remember a globe in your classroom, 23 and a half degrees, the moon stabilizes that tilt. Without the moon, the earth axis would wobble. And we might go from hot, from, let's say, from winter to colder winter. You'd never know what season is coming next. So um, thank you, Lord, for the moon, which gives <laughs> us the faithful seasons that we can enjoy. Well, no doubt the, about it. The list goes on for purposes of the moon. Uh, it's a protector for us. The moon is covered with um, uh, craters that are uh, formed by collisions. Of, there's a lot of debris in space. If those objects had not hit the moon, they would have hit the Earth. Now, the Earth does get peppered with uh, with uh, meteorites now and then, but um, certainly uh, the moon is a protector of a lot of that um, those space objects. Well, the, the moon. How about the tides? Now, uh, living up here in Indiana, we're far from the tides, but you know, <laughs> the whole coastlines of the world scrub back and forth by the daily tides. As those have been studied, we've come to realize that... Um, that makes the oceans healthy. It keeps the water stirred up. It's one of the major components of the ocean currents. Now, in the ocean, of course, there's incredible life. You've got uh, creatures and you've got plants. You've got vegetation. You have floating plants. You have kelp in the shallow areas of the ocean. Now, uh, we recall that um, plants breathe the opposite of us. They take in uh, CO2 and give off oxygen. Of course, we breathe the oxygen. Current estimates are that ocean plants make about half of the oxygen that we breathe. What? 
So think, Eric, about this um, scenario. If there was no moon, there would be no tides, and the oceans would become largely stagnant. Well, they would die. And so would the plants that are in the ocean. Well, there goes the plants, there goes the oxygen, there goes us. Our very breath depends on the ocean tides, keeping the ocean healthy, and that goes right back to the moon. That's incredible. I never would have put the tide, us breathing, having anything to do with the tides of the ocean. That is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Of course, the tides do lots of other things. They're part of the biorhythms of a lot of the life in the sea that are tuned to that. Uh, tides are fascinating. Uh, <clears throat> they can vary greatly. In fact, the highest tides that uh, we experience are up there by uh, New Brunswick in a place called the Bay of Fundy. And that uh, we've been up there looking at those where the, the level of the tide can change by over 50 feet which is, you know, a three or four story building and uh, up and down the water goes scrubbing the shoreline and again, uh, keeping the keeping the ocean in tune, keeping it keeping it healthy. That's got to create an entire like bio system of plants and animals that are dependent on that water going out and them scavenging the land and then the water coming in. I bet that's you think about it, I mean, when people make fun of the idea of God creating the heavens and the earth. I can't help but step back and see something simple like that, like the tides being tied to us being able to breathe oxygen and go, you realize how many tiny details there are like this that you would have to think of ahead of time when you build your entire universe? I mean, it takes a little bit of energy to build a universe, you know, and you're going to go through all that trouble and oops, you forgot to do something that made it where the plants and the animals that you designed could breathe. Oh man, you forgot that one thing. And I just, I go, the idea that somebody could look at the the world and say it's not designed or look at the design and say it's a bad design to me is the height of absurdity. It's the height of a, since we're talking about the moon, can I say it's the height of somebody who is a lunatic, somebody who's, who's crazy saying nobody designed this world. It had to be designed. It's too, too incredible. Oh, my goodness. Um, guys, we're talking to Dr. Don DeYoung. Uh, he is a physicist and an astronomer uh, and, a, and a brilliant mind who's written over, over a dozen books on, on the creation versus evolution subject and really speaking into the science and bringing the science out to show us, look, you really can start with God's word. This really is the foundation Dr. DeYoung, I got to let uh, my social media go, but uh, before I do, where's the bl- best place they can get like your research and your stuff? I know I've got I've got the whole Heaven Declare series, and you're part of the the Heaven Declare series, which we make available. Kyle Justice did this one, uh, did a great job, and you did a great job on this and presenting all kinds of science uh, in in the field of astronomy. So I know that's something you're you're passionate about. But where can they get a hold of your work, the the other things that you've done? Well, thank you, Eric. Uh, uh, the books that I've written are available on Amazon and, and elsewhere, and I know your ministry uh, handles some yep. of them as well, as well as our sister uh, uh, creation ministries, and there are several around the country. I have a personal uh, website, which is uh, called Discovery of Design, and then the numerical2.com, discoveryofdesign2.com. 
I don't have that much astronomy there, but I have some other areas of basic science and my books are listed. So um, yes, uh, we're surrounded by good material these days, more than was available in uh, uh, decades gone by. And if you look for it, you'll find it quickly. And that is awesome. Well, thank you uh, guys for joining us for this uh, first half of the conversation. If you want to catch the second half, come on over to Creation Today and partner with us and help us change the world one person at a time. Look forward to seeing you next week. Right here, live at noon is when we're uh, when we're airing these shows. So see you next week at noon, Wednesday at noon.